Hi, and welcome to Adventures in Dialogue. My name is Melissa. This is my first episode, and my guest is Chris Ricard. Chris is an international photographer, creative director, and speaker. He's primarily based in the outdoor industry, although he works for a variety of different brands, including Sony. Probably most well-known for his social media presence and photography there, as well as just a sort of all-around mentor and uh, creative personality. So I've worked with Chris in the past, and I invited him to be on the podcast to help me kick it off, uh, really because... I admire his sort of ability to take creative risks, and uh, this personally is a creative risk for me, and so I really appreciate him jumping in and being willing to support and kind of see where it goes. So in terms of intention of the podcast itself, it really is meant to be uh, exploratory dialogue. I think there are a ton of misunderstandings out there. Um, And even if there aren't misunderstandings, I think there are a lot of opportunities for people to come towards the middle in conversation and and the way that I hear people talking about things. I continuously feel that there are a lot of similar themes that people are, you know, bringing up and highlighting and, and perhaps they're just coming to them from a different perspective. And so you know, this is really just meant to explore those perspectives. So I would invite anyone listening to consider that there are no perfect conversations. And uh, the whole point is to, you know, just have an exercise in talking to each other and talking through things. And there are probably times where, you know, more sensitive topics will arise. Uh, This, this episode is pretty mellow, but I, don't plan to always agree with, with the people that I bring on. And so that's one of the things that makes dialogue rich is figuring out how to sit with feelings that come up that might be uncomfortable and uh, considering kind of like why, why that's triggering or why that's affecting us in a certain way. And so that's what I'm most excited about with this format is just the ability to have a real live unscripted conversation and work through ideas and issues that we're all sort of grappling with uh, in a more open-ended and kind of public forum. So again, I appreciate the bravery of people being willing to talk about potentially sensitive topics and truly is an adventure. So thanks for coming along. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, obviously, for taking the time to uh, hop on and chat. Um, I mostly just wanted to sort of check in with you. And there's a lot of things I've been thinking about lately around just a lot of big themes around sustainable development and just, you know, dialogue out in the world and getting people to connect a little bit easier by talking through things. And I thought it would just be a good chance to, you know, kind of understand your point of view from where you sit and the work that you're doing in terms Absolutely. of, yeah. And in terms of just the things I've noticed as well, as far as, you know, working with you in the past and just how you seem to approach work. And one of the big themes that I feel like I've noticed, and I, I probably mentioned it is just that, you know, you seem to have a pretty strong openness and curiosity. And um, I think you push <laughs> yourself, <laughs> I think you push yourself creatively pretty, pretty far. And so to me, I feel like that's one of your main sort of factors of success. And I, I guess that's kind of the opening question I wanted to ask you is, you know, how, how do you sort of see that? Or has that been your experience as well? 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that question so much, and I appreciate just those kind words. I mean, it's been a, it's been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting year, two years, and 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 overall, just an interesting career in some capacity with, with how things have changed and evolved, and and I think that um, if anything, you know, I, I feel such a intimate connection to the older I get, I guess I could say as to like the importance of, of, um, finding your limits and, 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 and self-exploration. And I, and I say that in a way where, you know, I, I want it to be as like, I'm not saying that from the physical perspective, like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, it's great. It's great to exercise and it's awesome. But, um, I've often said that the greatest journeys we ever take are the internal ones, right? Like that's, yeah. that's really where all the discovery happens. That's where all the self, um, the self-discovery happens. And I think that's where we really figure out and we really determine who we are as people and what we have to offer the world around us, what we have to offer our loved ones. And, and I guess in some way, I think that's been a real defining aspect of what has helped me stay relevant um, in yeah. some way. Like, and I, and I don't say that in the fact that I think I'm very relevant, but I guess, I guess the fact is, is like, trying to continually be creative is impossible. Like everybody yeah. goes to burnout. I've gone through burnout. And in this stage of the game, I guess you could say, I, I find almost a renewal of the things I love because I've, I've been able to reinvent myself. And I, and I love the fact that um, there is opportunity out there to potentially explore new avenues and new, new revenue ways of exploring revenue and just um, trying to, I guess you could say, um, re- reimagine what it means to like be a photographer or a creative in 2021, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that what I've learned is that I, although it's so validating to take pictures um, and, and direct films, like I, I find even more excitement around the fact that there is the opportunity to work with um, unique people and see their careers blossom and, and teach and educate and kind of, be in a position where you can facilitate learning and growth for other people. Like that's exciting to me. That's the thing that gets me the most stoked. So I guess, um, I guess, yeah, like that's kind of a funny one, but that's kind of where I, in some way, um, feel like, um, I shine the brightest and, and in, in the idea that like, yeah, photography has been for a very long time, like a tool to explore the world, but nowadays it's almost taken on a new meaning and a new purpose. Yeah. So do you have an example of, you know, something, maybe a similar situation that you've sort of approached from a new angle or something that's inspired you by just kind of looking at the same subject matter from a different point of view? Right. Well, I think that's kind of, yeah, what it, what it boils down to is looking at things from a different point of view. You know, I grew up using a camera, um, documenting surfing, right? Mm-hmm. Surfing was my world and it was pretty simple and it was pretty seamless. And, um, but after making surf films and shooting tons of magazine articles and, you know, getting covers and kind of, kind of exploring that to what I felt was its limit. Like I realized like anybody else, like there's gotta be more out there. And I kind of, you know, had the realization, like I want to tell deeper more meaningful stories. Doesn't mean they can't be related to surf or things that I care about climbing or surfing or skiing or whatever, but, but it's the human interest story that gets me the most intrigued. It's the the people and the issues and the issues that I deal with, you know, as a dad and as somebody who um, has suffered from various forms of, um, of, you know, 
mental and physical like ailments and other things mm-hmm. like trying to address those within a film is really important. Um, yeah. One of our latest films too, you know, and, and migrating forward with kind of where we're at in 2021 with, um, you know, uh, you know, social justice and, and people kind of reclaiming their, their heritage in many ways, um, being able to help even work with friends to tell films about those things um, yeah. has been really important. So ultimately what I've realized is like, everybody has their lane and not to say that we shouldn't operate outside of our lane or get outside of that, but you're going to know where you can have the loudest voice, where your platform is the biggest. And for me, like I want to operate within the space that I'm comfortable and I know, but, but at the same time, get very uncomfortable. Right. That's been really helpful to try and like utilize storytelling and the camera and directing or whatever, my platform, you know, as a way to kind of help tell more deeper and meaningful stories about people or about landscapes, about conservation or about social justice. So that's been really, um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of really where I've set my intentions, I feel like. Nice. Um, Yeah. And so along those lines, something that, that I'm super interested about, you know, just watching you go on sort of these big expeditions and um, there's always seems like a large physical component to it and kind of pushing the limits on that end. And I can imagine that that comes with pushing the limits um, from a mental capacity as well. And just curious when you're on those expeditions and in those really intense moments, how do you sort of like balance or how do you get through those trickier mental times and maybe some of the mindfulness techniques that you use or could you even describe like what a challenging internal moment feels like for you in those settings um you know I'm sometimes not the best at like stopping and internalizing things yeah um I'm just being honest like I've never really been great at like stopping and internalizing something as it happens even with photos you know like some of my favorite images or my favorite award-winning moments like when I took them, I was just like, okay, on to the next thing. Like, but I, I didn't like stop and appreciate it or see it for what it was. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just comes from the fact that like, I've always felt like nobody's going to remember you for your, the last great thing you did. They're always going to be like, well, what, what are you doing next? You know? And even now it's people are like, so what's next, Chris? And I, I think that, I think that I've been trying to learn how to slow down and just maybe recollect and articulate and, and, and ponder more on, where I'm at now as a person and mm-hmm. where my life is at, what I'm doing with my time and my life and all these things. And, and just trying to like dive into that and understand that more and, and be more cognizant to those things. Like those are all very, you, you raised some really important questions. And I, um, but, but I think that sadly, like it's taken kind of, you know, 15 years of doing this or whatever um, to really start to think about that. And also too, I think that, you know, we're in a space now where, where everybody's thinking about how they can, you know, give the upper hand to somebody who's in a less fortunate situation or somebody mm-hmm. who's been downtrodden by, you know, systemic racism or something like that. And so for me, ultimately, what that means is like, how can I hire or work with people who um, are going to present a different set of skills or might not have had that opportunity? Or how can I um, you know, put forward or recommend people in that capacity. Um, and I think that that's a big, that's a big part of it. I think that's where for me, like, again, the education portion of my career and life has, has played into a role. Like I, I could see in the future, not really needing to pick up a camera and use a camera as a career path, but more so just trying to facilitate that for others in some way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because with all the tools that are out there, I do think a lot of people are sort of crafting their own narrative and whether it's, you know, professionally done or not, it's, it seems like there's more emphasis on just where the point of view is coming from and things like that. And so I'm curious when there's a, a environment of sort of a blended point of view, what are the kinds of things that you're seeing as far as how, how those collaborations are going and just different styles of working and things that you've learned or or been surprised by in terms of maybe a different approach and things like that. Just curious. Within like the commercial world or within my own like personal projects or kind of, I'm not totally sure what you mean. I think more on the commercial level, just as um, culture has kind of changed over the last 12 months and just um, maybe new considerations that are coming online as far as production and um, inclusivity and stuff like that. Yeah, I would, you know, and, and from from purely like a commercial perspective, which for those who maybe don't understand what that means, like commercial meaning that you're being hired by a brand to create something for that brand, like marketing assets. I think there's been so much more of a push to have female and BIPOC voices um, as a part of that, whether, you know, whether I'm being hired as a director or I'm being hired to produce or I'm, I'm, I'm some way involved, right? Um, yeah. But the crew and the people who you're working with, whether it's an editor, whether it's a DP, whether it's AC, whether, you know, yada, yada, the list goes on, you know, talent. Um, there's so much more of a focus and a priority on that. And I think that, you know, it's, it's challenging because I, I, you know, I don't want to seem ignorant to any of this, but ultimately like I've always worked with brands that that's been a priority to, you mm-hmm. know, uh, shooting within, I would say like, you know, brands like Prana or brands like, you know, North Face or whomever, like that, that's always always been a part of the conversation. Well, like, you know, I'm not going to go, you know, do a campaign for them if it's just a bunch of white dudes. (laughs) So ultimately like that's, that's kind of been a part of the conversation from the beginning, but now I guess what I'm seeing um, and, and, and more so even just what I'm seeing, not necessarily what I'm being privy to or working on is just larger brands um, being more Mm -hmm. cognizant to that, you know, Um, and production studios, production studios, you know, being like, okay, well, you know, who are you going to hire for this? And, and, um, and then just being more transparent, being like, we, we would really like to have a female DP shooting this. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. give me some recommendations. I would love to work with some, you know, and I think that what happens and, and I'm totally, uh, totally, you know, been, been a part of this as well is like, we get siloed into working mm-hmm. with people that we're comfortable with and yeah. working with people that were just, that are easy, you know, like, oh yeah, so-and-so yeah, he can do it. Great. Awesome. Um, and that's great. And that's wonderful. It's great to work with people you trust, but it's, it's also like, if my hope and my goal is to like facilitate growth within myself and others, like then I need to be working with various people, you know, various types and looks and kinds and, and everything and, and trying to facilitate that experience. You know, yeah, it might come with some growing pains. That's kind of a part of it, right? You know, you work with people you trust because you trust them because it's mm-hmm. easy. Right. And I don't think that's always necessarily the path moving forward. We don't need to do things just to be easy. We need to do things that hopefully facilitate growth and learning. And sometimes that can be um, at times a little painful. Now, when there's a huge budget on the line and there's a massive project and you really got to nail it and, you know, you, you want to work with the best of the best. And so I think that the way I see it is that um, I'm, I'm grateful that um, production companies and brands and whatnot, um, you know, me running a small production studio, um, and being a, obviously the a photographer myself and whatnot, like are looking for and, and fostering talent 
that is outside of that scope. And I think that's kind of what I've realized is like, for me, although, you know, I employ a handful of people in my studio, um, I love being able to work with, with talented people that, that I've over the years been able to mentor or, or I know them, or I trust their work, you know, or, or I, I want to give them an opportunity because maybe there's like not a lot of risk involved. And, um, and if they, if they nail it, it's going to look really good on them, you know? And it's a funny thing because people don't always get the fact that like, you know, Chris Burkhardt, me as an entity, yeah, I'm a photographer and I direct, but like, we often are hiring people out to shoot stuff for us or for jobs. And I, and as I've said over and over, like, I love that opportunity. I love being able to work with talented individuals um, and, and see their growth. So I guess that's kind of what I'm seeing on a trend basis in terms mm-hmm. of like the industry as a whole. Um, but I think that the key component is like more people need to have the opportunity to get a camera in their hands and, um, and be able to shoot and be able to explore and be able to see if this is a passion they want to pursue. I know I'm grateful to be working with Sony that is really pushing forward with some awesome, um, initiatives that are allowing for that. And also their alpha female program, which is like an insane, awesome program, kind of fostering the next generation of female photographers. Um, and, and just kind of realizing that like, this is the future, you know, that we're, that yeah. we're moving to. And, um, and I think that, you know, there's this instant, there's this instance where maybe some, you know, people would expect like, oh, well, this is the future that we're in. And like, there isn't space for, you know, um, white passing or, you know, white photographers in this space, you know? And I, I think the key thing is like, yeah, that might feel kind of threatening and scary, but the truth of the matter is like, if that's the only mode of creativity that you have to offer, um, then that would be terrifying. But for me, mm-hmm. I feel like that's definitely not it. Like I'm lucky to be able to speak and make books and films and direct and produce and have a, wear a lot of hats. And within mm-hmm. all those hats, I can, yeah. I can try to uplift others in that capacity. So to me, it's kind of a matter of like, I need to diversify. And by diversifying, it creates more space for others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also too, I'm curious, just sort of, in the process of production too, because sometimes I feel like, at least in my experience as a creative and creating work, sometimes my process, and I've just started to notice this recently, actually. So it's a little bit of a pattern that I'm starting to pick out and just try to understand more around is how different men and women can work from a process point of view. And where I feel like sometimes there's a more of a direct sort of like singular focus, kind of like, let's nail this, let's get it, um, really direct into the point as far as communication around a project or even the storyline itself. Whereas sometimes I feel like on the female side of things, and again, I'm just um, talking very in general terms right now, but um, there can be more of like a focus on process, focus on connection, focus on um, connecting a wider set of dots. And I don't know if that's something that you've found as well, but I'm just again, it's something I'm unpacking and trying to understand more about in terms of complementary working styles. And I mean, that's a huge, you bring up a huge thing. I mean, that's kind of, um, that's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting process because I think that what I've learned is that I tend to operate in one way, meaning like, I think that the older I get, the more I realize my strengths and weaknesses and I'm, and I'm okay with that. Like I, I, I'm, I'm aware of my process and I'm aware of what I can get done and how I can operate. And, you know, I learned a long time ago that like, Hey, you know, there are certain clients where like, they're going to be stoked if the job gets done, no matter what, and everybody mm-hmm. leaves and, and they don't care if everybody leaves friends. Right. right. And there's 
clients or jobs where it's like, it's better that everybody leaves the shoot friends and happy than like we necessarily get all the shots we need. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that certain personalities can help facilitate that. Like I, I pretty much will only use a female producer mm-hmm. um, or, I mean, not female, but like, you know, any, any, any gender that's going to have that softer touch, that approach. Right. Um, my, my main producer is just like, so, so kind and, and loving and gets the job done, but also like is aware of the needs of everybody. And that's really the, the job, mm-hmm. right. Is right. Cause if I'm in, I think this is what I'm learning more is like, if I'm kind of this hard edge, like, okay, I need to be, I need to be regimented, like regimented myself, regimented with my crew. I need, I need somebody who balances that. And it's mm-hmm. why even within my own office, you know, Hannah, our, our full-time photo editor, um, she's amazing. And she really offsets kind of, I think some of my rigidity. And, and I think that's just what you start to learn and realize that a, a photo shoot is a living, breathing thing. Yeah. And it has yeah. an energy and a life force. And you, you touched on this in a great way. It's about like looking back at your processes and kind of being like, well, how could I do this better? How could I do this more effective? Like, was this shot worth it that stressed everybody out and made, you know, yada, yada, or should I have like taken this approach? And I think that the more we look at our approaches, the more we recalibrate and the more we think about, okay, I need a brand. And, I, and I, again, I'm using this in very general terms. Like um, I don't care, you know, if the person's like lesbian or trans or whatever, but like, I need a little more like softer energy on this mm-hmm. shoot and I need yeah. to bring in somebody who, who is going to bring, who is going to bring that to the table. Right. Or if I, you know, there's a lot of like male bravado energy here. Like I need to offset that. And I think that's kind of what I've realized, like a good producer will re- will, will take into consideration. Right. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's not even so much just because it's like, well, this is going to foster a harmonious working environment. No, it's like, this is what's going to get us the best job done. Like this right. is what's going to create, create them. Like what I've learned is like, it, it, it fosters the most creativity. Yeah. And that's the thing. And you need people who see things from different perspectives in order to move forward. That's just how it operates. Again, this yeah. living, breathing thing, like it's going to need yin and yang. Yeah, totally. So do you think it has to do with sort of like the ability to cultivate that environment that feels more har- harmonious so that the end result comes out? you know, with that sort of like energy in it, if you want to call it that way, or is it more about just, you know, being able to tap into sort of, I guess, if I'm going to relate it to more of a workplace environment, it's like, you know, traditional business cultures, very keep the emotions out. Let's just focus on the task at hand where it starts to feel like actually we need the emotions to come into the picture because a lot of this friction that's happening could easily resolved through just a quick conversation or something like that, where it's like, typically, you know, it's just harder for people to do that because they haven't developed the skills perhaps. You're spot on. And I mean, this is the toxic masculinity that we've seen in society. And I'm I'm, like, I understand that that is a real thing. (laughs) It's a real issue. Um, And if anything, like, as I've gotten, you know, as I've gotten married and had kids and had young boys, I, I, I want them to be soft. I want them to be in touch with that side of themselves and and gentle. And I'm just so lucky to have like, you know, women in my life or people in my life who really helped me recognize the importance of that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the the world, I think in many ways, like I I feel like, you know, it's not out of, it's, it's out of necessity, you know, that we bring in um, this, this yin and yang approach to the projects that we do, right. Mm -hmm. Not just in like the talent, not just in the people that are working there, but, but also like, 
a unique variety of perspectives to ensure that I think that the message and is getting across. And yeah, I mean, there is oftentimes culturally this idea like, oh, we need to take the emotion out of these things, out of these. But like, if you're working on a film, like I've, I've always heard this thing, don't work with your friends, you know, you cause, mm-hmm. because it's going to be challenging, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of the, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life was working with my friends and mm-hmm. some of the worst, right? But yeah. from both of those, I've learned. I worked on this film called Unner, which was about my, my good friend, Ellie and his daughter um, and their relationship. And like, I mean, it was, it was a really magical experience because I was able to kind of see things from his perspective. And there was a lot of sensitivity. Like we visited a waterfall that he hadn't seen in 12 years where he almost drowned wow. where his body washed up and like giving the space and the time for him to process that and not just being like, okay, we're here. We got to shoot blah, blah, blah. Like realize like that benefited all of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because totally. he was able to bring the emotion to it that we needed. Right. He was able to process it. And like, you got to carve out time for that. And I feel, I just think in some ways, like if it was a younger version of me, I would have been like, okay, cool. So we're here. Like, let, let's get to work. You know, it's now I think we realize more and more the importance of um, creating space yeah. and what that means and like seeing somebody within that space. And obviously like he was ready to deal with that because he had, um, he had agreed to it, you know, and he, uh-huh. but, but at the same time, there was no need to like force anybody through those experiences. So right. I guess what I'm totally. getting at, is like, yeah, learning, like, I, I think that I wouldn't have learned to be as sensitive and open and and learning to listen as if I didn't have great examples in my life and even again like great great producers or great people that I've worked with who have kind of shown that for me and then me realizing well I need to show that for others yeah yeah and I think even just bringing up the phrase toxic masculinity is kind of something that's like men have really been sort of boxed into this area where they've been taught to stuff their feelings so we're all kind of in this mix together and it's like moving away from phrases like that because they can feel really like from a male's perspective it can feel like my whole life I've been taught to like stuff my feelings and now I'm you know sort of realizing that it's helpful to be in touch with them at least on some level because I think that there's probably you know it ranges a spectrum of how people interact with their emotions but in general you know I think it works on both sides just the cultural sort of messages that we receive and how we internalize those. It's like, and now there's a lot of churning up of that and looking at the roots of those, um, you know, problems of perpetuating the societal norms. And um, so even trying to figure out how to talk about these things in a way that feels um, collaborative between both men and women, but of all, all, all genders and all, you know, sexual orientations and wherever people are coming in, just the ability to sort of like process these things out in the open is I think super beneficial. And even to what you were just saying around giving someone space to, you know, have a healing experience and then be a witness to that, I think is actually like pretty central to the healing process. And what I, what I feel concerned by is that we're, we're in this amazing movement where, where people are being more conscious about who they're bringing on and hiring and, and this and that. But if you don't create like a safe environment for that person to come and learn and work, like that's, yeah. that's detrimental. Like you, you don't just want to be like, Hey, so-and-so, you know, young, talented black photographer who's, who's on their first commercial shoot, like, cool, we're going to hire you. We want you to do this. And they get there and you just, you make them feel inferior. Like that's fucked up. Like that's not what they need. Like 
there needs to be a mentorship process, a fostering of like time and everything, you know, because it's so awesome that people are now getting the opportunities to do these things. But um, because in the past it's been limited, but now there also needs to be the opportunity to be like, okay, what is the expectation? Do you feel comfortable with this expectation? Like Mm -hmm. um, how how can you foster that type of growth and learning? And I think that's kind of where I've tried to like focus my time and attention with communicating with people is like, yeah, I do want to bring in young, fresh talent, but I don't want to like throw them to the wolves or throw them in over their heads. Cause that's, that's a harsh scenario. And I, and I see that a lot with people, you know, reaching out to me being like, I don't know what to charge. I don't know what to ask for. They're just all of a sudden so much interest in my work. And, and, you know, some of it feels performative from brands or people. And so how do you help kind of like guide the next generation of, of talented creatives? And I, and I think that's just something that is important to be privy to, you know, it's important to be aware of and, and just checking in with people. It's as simple as being like, are you comfortable with these asks? You know, are you comfortable with this job? Are you comfortable with this assignment? Um, and trying to kind of be a team player, be aware of what their mm-hmm. needs are, what they're struggling with. And that's, that's huge to me. So how would you advise someone in that situation to sort of advocate for themselves or walk into a conversation like that, feeling equipped potentially? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think, first of all, you, you need a confidant, right? You need people you can reach out to, to even be like, Hey, I've got a creative call. You know what, how do I speak to this? How do I speak to that? You know, I've got years of experience, right? Like I don't get afraid of those things, but I, I know what it's like when someone feels challenged in that way. And it's scary, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think the big thing is like, you need a confidant. You need to find people you can rely on and trust. You need to acknowledge the fact that like, first of all, is like, I might need help. I mean, that's a personal thing that everybody needs to come to the conclusion of is like, Maybe I don't got this on my own. Maybe I do need a little advice or a little wisdom or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, not saying I'm, I'm the person that needs to offer it or, or anything, but I think that everybody needs a mentor. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how society's kind of always operated, especially in these creative capacities. So for me, I think that that's really the first and foremost thing is like learning to find somebody you can speak to and then really trusting the people you surround yourself with. Right. And not doing the job just simply because it like requires or it pays, you know, like, oh, great. It pays. I really need this. Blah, blah, blah. But do you feel safe with those people? Do you feel like they have your back? Do they feel like they have your best interest in mind? Mm-hmm. This is a scary time. You know, it's a scary situation for a lot of, um, you know, culturally diverse people who are operating in this space, in this creative space where like you don't want to get thrown to the wolves. Like, I, yeah. I know what that feels like. I've been there. It's terrifying. I get it. Like, I think it's important to recognize and realize like, yeah, you might go and shoot one job, but if you don't do a good job, you're not going to get hired again, right? So it's like, how do we lead with our best foot forward while at the same time, you know, learning to speak our mind to say like, oh, I don't feel comfortable doing this or like ask for help. Who do you ask for help from? What? And, and I think that's kind of the key component is like, is is kind of learning that. And, and I, you know, it's hard for me to, to really gauge and, and say like, oh, well, this is how you use your voice. You know, I think that comes with time. But ultimately, it's a, it's a confidence thing, and that confidence is built over time. And I think that if you have people who can bolster you up, you're good. And I, and I just think having that conversation, you know, with people, and it's about relinquishing the ego, right? Mm-hmm. And saying, like, and I've been there. I've had to be like, I don't know how to do this. Like, can yeah. you help me? Can you help me? And that's a hard thing to say because yeah. you look like, you look like a, a douche, kind of, you know? And well. I would say, or you look, or you look, you look inferior, which is probably the better term. And I, and I, from a male's perspective, you really feel that. And I, but I've had to like ask and I've had to just learn. And, and, and I think even now, like I'll get on conference calls 
with, you know, a Netflix production or whatever. And they're like talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that acronym means. Can you explain that to me? Like, and I'm just like, you know, unabashedly. And I think what it is, is this, it's like, when you meet like a wall of ego with um, humility and kind of, uh, I don't know, when you disarm with just like humility and openness, like it, it, I find that it really helps, you know, like I've found that like too, like I don't want to approach any situation being like, I've got all the answers. So I think if we approach every situation being like, I don't have all the answers, I would love, I would love to find the answers. And if you can help me learn how to find them, I will. And I think that that's a huge thing. I mean, that's like a, that's a tool for everybody. I'm not just talking about like, you know, Hispanic or black photographers shooting their first commercial job. I'm talking about everyone and learning how to kind of ask hard questions, learning, learning who can have your back. And honestly, if you feel like nobody has your back and nobody's there to bolster you up, then it's not the right job for you. And and I, I just, I know that's the the reality. That's a harsh reality too. Yeah. I do feel like though, once you kind of get comfortable with sort of admitting those um, spots where you maybe don't have the information or it's not readily available and you can find it later or however you manage that part of the conversation, it starts to get easier. And I think people do, again, if you're focused on what you can really offer and bring to the situation, then those moments where maybe you're missing a piece of, uh, you know, the puzzle can be smoothed over a little bit more readily. And I think people, I've noticed a huge shift um, and maybe it's just the, you know, current environment that I'm in where I feel like we do have a lot of humility happening and it actually opens the gates toward a lot more um, quicker collaboration because we're not tripping over these sort of like, oh, I need to pretend like I know the answer where it's more of like, no, I'm really good in this area. And this is the area that I kind of need somebody else to fill in with their knowledge. And it starts to create this like web of um, really, really great synergy and, and collaborative work, um, especially in a creative environment. So Totally. And it, it changes everything. It changes the way you work. It changes yeah. the way you communicate with others. It changes your working relationship. Like that's kind of, um, yeah, that's kind of like what I, I've learned over the years is like, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll put, I'll fall on the sword here. Like I've been the person who's like come in with all the ego and the bravado and been like, I, you know, I've got all the answers. That's what they're hiring me for, blah, blah. blah. And then you kind of realize that you don't and that my relationships have become more beneficial when people see my weakness when people mm-hmm. see yeah. what I'm lacking and being more acknowledging of what I'm lacking and just realizing like, I mean, this is a life lesson, like realizing that I can't do it all on my own and I need right. to help. And that's, it's been a beautiful life lesson. It's taught me everything. Um, and I just hope that others can find that as equally because I, I feel like it's, it's a challenging world, you know, like mm-hmm. you're on set, you're on a shoot, everybody's looking at you for answers for this and that. And to, to simply yeah. say like, I don't have the answer or I need help. Like that's a hard thing to do. I get it. Um, and I, and I want to just make sure people are kind of like cognizant of the fact that like, it's okay. At a certain time, we've all not had the answers. And I guess that kind of leads me to maybe even a more important point, which is the fact that really, I really struggle with the, the, the cancel culture in our society, because I think mm-hmm. all it does is creates more room for ego because yeah, people totally. are afraid to make mistakes. And so making mistakes, and I'm not talking about like serious, serious, you know, issues that obviously you know, cancel culture is created for and whatnot, or, you know, politicians or whatnot. I get that. But 
the common person, you know, like the common to who makes a mistake and doesn't, isn't given the opportunity to learn. Like what's mm-hmm. that going to do? That's going to do one of two things. It's going to create a greater silent majority mm-hmm. or it's going to create a greater lack of empathy and understanding and feeling like people get you or understand you or, or your willingness to be educated is going to be lacking, right? Because yeah. ego is a wall. It's meant to protect you. And if you just bolster up that wall of ego, like you're going to be, you're not going to change your ways. You're just going to become more protective or more, or, or more internalized. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think too, um, with that as well as a lot of times, well, there's, you know, levels to cancel culture, of course, but, um, there, it yeah, feels I mean, like I'm, I'm generalizing. Totally. But I, I think on the other end of that, somebody might have just, their actions might've been, completely misinterpreted and it's based off of another person's sort of projection of what they think the person, where they think the person's operating from and how they think they should be acting based on their own sort of point of view around that. And so it ends up getting to be this sort of like, unless you're asking the person directly, like why they made that choice. Um, if it's not, you know, a blatantly obvious, but like, I think that is what happens a lot in cancel culture is people write each other off without having any sort of context of who the person is or like the other things happening and not that we should have to over explain that by any means, but just the consideration that maybe I don't have the full picture here. And just that sense of curiosity of like, maybe there's something else going on with this person that I'm not aware of. It's, it's, it's funny because in many ways, it's like the lack of understanding that like, Hey, I could actually like learn something from this person or they could learn something from me and -hmm. realize that like this could benefit everybody equally. Mm -hmm. Like this, this could be like, the like greatest opportunity for them to like learn something new yet instead we're just like oh we're just going to shut them up you know and Mm -hmm. i and i i I get that there's a place for all these things like i I understand i think that what i'm really trying to kind of get at is the fact that like I, i i get worried about the fact that people might like internalize something and then just you know and it's almost like that growth opportunity that like that, that seed that you might plant where, Hey, you might be wrong or, you know, it's going to die. Like their opportunity for that person to basically like learn something new because of our lack or our willing, our unwillingness to have a, to have a hard conversation. Yeah, um, exactly. Is, is what we're not doing. And so that to me, that's like the laziest form of, of that. And I think this all kind of, you know, the, all these things tie in, we're obviously, we're talking about like creativity and production and jobs and yada, yada, yada. But I think these all tie in. And I just, I'm just here to, you know, I just really want to foster growth in people because I've seen it in myself. Yeah. And I think that uh, tying it sort of back together with the dialogue pieces, it's just having those skills to be able to A, speak up when you have a need and, and you need it to be met by somebody and it's okay if it's not met, but just that ability to voice it. And then the, the invitation for the other person to decide if they want to meet it or not, that can feel really intense but once I think once there's a level of practice then it can get easier and these sort of like smoke and mirrors can go away a lot quicker and people start to get to the truth of a misunderstanding or whatever however it manifests but just that ability to cultivate some new emotional territory I think is is perhaps the opportunity yeah you know I think you're you're spot on um and and I would love to gain this perspective from some people, you know, who I think 
haven't had the opportunity to like, you know, converse about these or, 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 I mean, that's always what's interesting to me is I want to like really know from, from like the, you know, whoever like the, the head of, of woke cancel culture is like, what is their perspective? I just want to understand, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm actually intrigued to, to know these things. And sometimes I think the, the simple desire to understand something um, is taken as like, I don't know, a desire to, to meet somebody with, um, with a lack of understanding, I guess you could say, or, or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just love conversation. I've always loved the idea of learning and growing. Yeah. And, and I think we all should. And that's, that's, I think what will foster, you know, greater opportunities for more diverse cultures to be within this art space or this art community. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I just have um, a couple other questions for you real quick, pivoting slightly, but also related as far as just, you know, thinking about how at some level, you know, people are all sort of connected and affecting each other in different ways. And I just bringing it back to sort of the outdoor industry, I'm curious your perspective on the, you know, the increase in popularity with a lot of outdoor spaces, how to think about sort of managing interest, managing impact, and sort of guiding each other in this process of outdoor stewardship, outdoor inclusion, things like that. Absolutely. I mean, what a, what an important topic to, to talk about and address. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm slowly, you know, learning from the great examples out there. You know, I think what I've learned and realized is that, you know, I'm not a politician, (laughs) you know, I, I, I I know my, and I, and I say this in a humble way, like I know my lane, I know my space, Mm -hmm. I know what I'm good at. And I, I can use a camera really well. And I'm a fairly talented speaker and think that sometimes there's this expectation from people who think that they're doing activism that like, oh my gosh, well, you, you have a, you have an audience. You should, you should address all these issues and things. And you know, the, the thing that I've realized over the years is that I'm never going to address something that I'm not fully educated on. Mm-hmm. It's why I spent years trying to learn about Iceland's complications within its glacial river system and make a yeah. book on it and yeah. advocate for policy change because I gave myself to that. I learned about it. I could have a conversation with the best of them about the complications of, of, you know, um, aluminum smelters and whatnot. But when it comes to social justice and outdoor spaces, like I'm aware of, I'm aware of it and I, and I'm educated on a little bit of it. It doesn't mean that, that, you know, you, that I'm going to like drop everything I'm doing and learn everything I can to have a really calculated answer. So mm-hmm. in that space, what I'm saying is I look to examples to mm-hmm. help, me, you know, and what I've realized is that I want to be hands-on with something. I want to see real change. And so I, I, instead of, trying to, you know, support and invest and advocate for all these various groups that I don't really know their backgrounds and I don't really know where the money's going. I would prefer to spend my time, invest, mentor, and um, support ones that I can actually see. Outdoor Outreach for me in San Diego is a program that gets, you know, um, BIPOC, underprivileged, and, and inner city kids into outdoor spaces. To yeah. me, that is the future, right? It's, it's about getting kids into those spaces um, giving them the tools, the supplies, the opportunities, having real mentorship from people that they could potentially look up to, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but like, you know, being able to be there as a mentor for photographers is rad because I get to talk to that generation, find out what their actual um, concerns are, what their actual needs are from the horse's mouth, you know, not from like somebody who's supposedly speaking on, on behalf of, you know, you know, young black creatives, but like actual kids or actual people who are interested in these things and, and trying to realize how I can address those with them or, or support that. And I ultimately feel like 
to me, I look for change that can be like happening within my own community, within my own state, as opposed to like, you know, this massive global um, transition, because I think that the, the idea that every single person with a platform is right, you know, that's just, that's kind of asinine. Like just mm-hmm. anybody who can speak the loudest is right. That's, that's not true. That would be the most ridiculous thing ever. Or anybody that speaks up about an issue is, is completely right. Right. So for me, I'm not here to address, you know, somebody who is, who is speaking to the masses. I want to talk to actual kids who are seeing actual issues and how we can like fight against those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that to me has been like the most actionable change that I can take part in or the most actionable um, thing that I can see, which is like people feeling and finding safety and comfort in the outdoors from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really who I've chosen to partner with. And that's, and that's kind of a, how, where I hope that other people can kind of figure out like, who's a good partner for me to work in this space. Now, of course, like through my studio, we've, you know, taken the outdoor CEO pledge and, and we've, we've worked within ways to kind of, um, you know, break down our own processes and think about how we can diversify what we're doing and who we're working with. Um, and that's all kind of a part of just running a business and trying to be more actionable about the things that you're doing and intentional. But I think when it comes to like my personal time as Chris Burkhard, like an employee of my studio, mm-hmm. where I want to spend that time is seeing youth get outdoors and seeing them feel safe in those spaces and helping foster more, more um, safe spaces for that. And that, that happens through programs. It happens yeah. through getting them outside. It happens through gear sponsorships. It happens, it happens through a lot of really actionable things that when you put them all together, aren't, aren't, they aren't that big of asks, right? Mm-hmm. No, definitely not. And that's, that's awesome. Um, and I'm curious to just, um, you know, relating it to your experience in Iceland and seeing sort of the popularity of that spot kind of blow up and how that intersects with conservation and thoughts about con- conservation. And I mean, I personally feel like the outdoors should be open for everybody and then it's kind of like okay now how do we manage together this sort of like the impact that it has on different landscapes and how can we all be involved in that and have a hand in in that as well because obviously some places you know can only handle so much impact but I'm curious what you've seen on that front um, because I feel like you have a much broader perspective of just on like the impact of wild spaces from from like large swaths of people or, or is that? Yeah. Kind of- and how, how we can, like, if you have any, uh, this is, you know, a lot to ask for a, an answer off the top, but just ideas <laughs> for how we can sort of guide each other, I guess, in how to sort of like best preserve these places that so many people want access to and should have access to, but how do we work right. together to kind of like okay. make that sustainable? Totally. Yeah. Great question. It's such a complicated answer. I think in many ways, because I, I've seen twofold scenarios, you know, the first being that, you know, we, we want to protect places as much as we can. We want to preserve them so the people that come have an incredible wild experience. Yet at the yeah. same time, if we protect places too much, we, we, we fall into the potential gatekeeper mentality. And maybe even greater is the fact that those places don't receive the funding that they need. I've seen that throughout Big Sur a ton. I've seen yeah. that throughout you know, the campaign to save Bears Ears. Everybody was was kind of, you know, hush, hush about bear's ears for 10 years, you know, to climbers and myself, we were very aware of it, but um, all of a sudden when it became on the chopping block for uh, rescinding it as a monument, everybody's like, promote bear's ears, promote bear's ears. And everybody's like, where the hell's bear's ears. Right. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really like, you know, limiting the, the details here, but ultimately like had bear's ears potentially had more exposure early on, 
Mm-hmm. It, it could have been more popular. It might have had mm-hmm. more fun. Would it have had a greater impact? Yeah, it would have. I, I, I'm fully aware of that. But would it have been rescinded as a monument? Yeah, it it might not have been, right? You know, it right. might have been protected. And that being said, the greater threat, which is now extractive industries, might not have come into play. But, that, right. but here, here we are. Now we're dealing with a much greater threat. And I think that's the issue that people see is they think, they look at Iceland and I see this all the time, like, oh my gosh, tourism is ruining Iceland. No, it's actually not ruining Iceland mm-hmm. at all. It's mismanagement of tourism. Yeah. It's all the tourists being forced into a small six hour stretch of landscape um, where they impact. There are farmers in the East and in the North that have literally given up their farm to create Airbnbs for potential tourists, yeah. but those tourists aren't making it there, right? Tourism saved the country when the economic crisis hit and they had, you know, like the lack of fish overseas and, and, and the, um, the cod industry and all these other industries kind of fell flat. Tourism is, is literally now the lifeblood. And, and what would you have as the opposite? Would you have, you know, aluminum smelters, dams, cheap, cheap energy being, being extracted from the country and sold to Europe at the expense of losing its most precious resource, which is nature? I mean, yeah. in many ways, we've seen through national parks and places like that tourism can be managed and it can be done well the problem is when you have a place that's become popular so fast it's challenging and i know i'm getting way off topic here no no this is exactly but, what i wanted to talk but, about yeah. but i but i i've seen this full well and i've actually spoken on panels about it i've, I've created presentations for it i've talked about parks and i've, I've interviewed superintendents about it the fact yeah. that like a place like like um denali national park which is such a beautiful, diverse um, national park that adheres to a lot of different uses, hunting and people who want to like, you know, go out there and snowmobile, people who want to ski and hikers and climbers. All these interest groups are still served. This is an incredibly diverse national park. It's huge. Yeah. Um, and, and people still get to go out there and have an incredibly wild experience. Now, in a place like Iceland, that's, that's very available. In a place like many of our national parks, it's very available. I think that the issue is that some places just need a little more management. And, I, and I'm not necessarily for more government involvement. I get that. With management comes also a loss of wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have that great question, you know, that, that Edward Abbey once posed is like, you know, um, what's better that every single person should be able to get to these places and you, you put a driveway right up to it or you keep it wild. Well, I think that that needs to be evaluated by, you know, each location and place specifically. Yeah. Um, and I And I guess I would just say that, to me, the last thing I'll mention, because I know I'm not really giving a clear answer here because I, I no, want yeah. to leave the answer within the eyes of the beholder is like, do you think that, do you think that, um, you know, talking about glaciers and talking about the importance of these beautiful places to rural kids in Africa and China is going to make the entire world like want to preserve the climate? You know, I don't think so. I think we need to get people as close to these places as we can. Yeah. for them to experience it because that's what changes opinion experience human yeah. beings are created that way and if you don't experience a place you'll never vote for it and yeah. so we're sitting there in this paradigm being like oh there's too many people outdoors yet oh my gosh the environment's going to shit you know it's like well if people experience the environment maybe it wouldn't happen yeah and i guess i just struggle with that knowing that like that is part of the answer part of the answer is kind of in the solution, right? And yeah. vice versa, it's, it's complicated. And I kind of find myself in the middle of both perspectives. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I understand that it's complicated. And I just, I want to most, first and foremost, create a safe space for everybody to get outdoors. 
And secondly, you know, I want to hopefully preserve a lot of these places so the future generations can experience them. Yeah. And I, I guess the one thing I would end with there is like, anytime you go, I go somewhere and I hike 20 minutes off the trail, not off trail, but like down the trail in any direction away from the main tourist spot or away from the major waterfall. I'm yeah. alone. Yeah. Totally. I'm really <laughs> alone. And the truth of the matter is, is like, we're talking about very different things. We're talking about like roadside attractions yeah. where anybody can get to is very different than the backcountry, yeah. where real magic happens. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but if somebody's not willing to put the effort in to go find a place or go see a place, or if they think that their very special mystical spot that's literally on the side of a highway is like needs to be preserved, I just I have a hard time with that because I feel like nature does exist and it's out there. And if you're willing to go for it, you'll find it. Yeah, definitely. And I think on the backcountry front too, it's um, interesting just this last winter when there um, was, you know, it was such a heavy avalanche year and the concern was around sort of the beginners coming in and backcountry is a specialized situation where, you know, people in totally different groups can affect each other's experience by, um, you know, triggering an avalanche and having the awareness of the environment, things like that. And at the end of the season, I thought I heard that the actual amount of people that got in trouble were more along the expert lines. And so not (laughs) saying that that means anything, but I'm just curious about what that does mean, you know, in terms of taking, you know, I just think in these environments, particularly in the backcountry and extra wild areas, we're all humbled down to a certain level. And again, just like if we're going to, be safe and have a good experience it's we're almost being required to put down our previous positions and kind of figure out how to work together in a sense and I don't exactly know what that means executionally but philosophically it seems like it it could be there that's a really good point and I think that you bring up and it's interesting to think about the fact that like um you know sometimes those of us who are getting into like you know, these situations in the backcountry are the most experienced, you know, it's so easy to point the finger at the newbie, but the truth of the matter is that at a certain point, everybody was a newbie. Some of us right. were just blessed, blessed to have given those opportunities as a kid. And that's a privilege in and of itself. And I think it's important to recognize that. So instead of like pointing the finger at everybody who's, you know, you know, out there kind of destroying, you know, over visiting, over visiting or destroying nature, it's like, why don't we mentor somebody? Like, mm-hmm. what are we doing to mentor the next generation, teach them, guide them, like give them advice, give them tips. I wish I had that, you know, um, right. and I think it would have benefited me early on. Yeah. I think it's interesting that there is sort of, in order to solve problems on both ends of it, there is actually like a real need to come towards the middle. And I feel like that's a general theme across a lot of different areas right now in society. So I just wanted to ask you one more thing about, um, you know, if you were to impart any sort of wisdom or advice to younger generations of outdoor explorers and what would that be? Yeah, I I think that, um, I think that it would be the fact that like traveling is an amazing gift. It's a drug in many ways, you know, allows us to experience the world in such a unique and visceral way. Mm -hmm. But I would just reiterate that the greatest journeys you'll take will be the internal ones. And it'll be the ones to figure out who you are and why you do what you do and what you love and what you care about. And that takes internalizing those experiences. It takes digesting them. It takes coming to terms with why we do what we do and where we go and why we share what we share. And, And I guess I would just paint a picture for everybody out there, which is that 
you know, sometimes we have this negative connotation about that person standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon at the rim with the selfie stick and taking a photo. But the truth of the matter is, is like, you know, who's to say that that person's not having an incredibly intimate experience in nature. Maybe it's their first time there. What would you rather have than staying at home playing video games? What you have to realize is that, that nature is that that experience for them, for me, for anybody, it's a gateway drug. And ultimately, eventually, you might make your way down the trail. And then you might make your way to see the Colorado. And at that point, you could become changed forever. And this is what inspires people to vote for the environment. We care about the environment. And if we don't appreciate everybody with where they're at in their growth curve, in their learning curve, um, then then I, I really I, I really think that like we, we're kind of doomed. <laughs> you know, we need that empathy. Mm-hmm. And we need that understanding that everybody starts somewhere. And I think that's what I'd say. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I, again, I really appreciate your time and taking a little bit of time out to talk about this stuff. And yeah, it was great to catch up. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. And um, let's, let's chat again soon. Okay. Thanks, Chris.